right. Hey, good morning, Messiah. God's great blessings to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, the Bible passage that I want us to take a look at this morning comes from the first four verses of Ephesians chapter 6. And uh, this morning, I would like to introduce it by looking at the message translation uh, because, well, I just like the sound of it. Children, do what your parents tell you. See what I mean? Children, do what your parents tell you. This is only right. Oh, that's good stuff. Honor your father and mother is the first commandment that has a promise attached to it, namely so that you will live well and have a long life. Fathers and mothers, don't frustrate your children with no win scenarios. Take them by the hand and lead them in the way of the master. This is God's word. Well, we are in a series called Lost in Transition, and what we've been talking about is how to live well at every age and stage of life. Uh, specifically, we're looking at how to transition well because it's typically the transitions that tend to trip us up. I'll tell you a story. It's a transition story. It's written by this guy named Joe Kemp. It's called The Best Time of my life, and it goes like this. It was June 15th, and in two days I would be turning 30. I was insecure about entering a new decade of my life, and I feared that my best years were now behind me. My daily routine included going to the gym for a workout before going to work, and every morning I would see my friend Nicholas at the gym. Now, Nicholas is 79 years old and in terrific shape. As I greeted Nicholas on this particular day, he noticed I wasn't full of my usual vitality, and he asked if anything was wrong. And I told him I was, you know, kind of feeling a little anxious about turning 30. And I, I wondered uh, how I would look back on my life once I was his age, and so I asked him, what was the best time of your life? Without hesitation, Nicholas replied, well, Joe, this is my philosophical answer to your philosophical question. When I was a child in Austria, when everything was taken care of for me and I was nurtured by my parents, that was the best time of my life. When I was going to school and learning the things I know today, that was the best time of my life. When I got my first job and I had responsibilities and and got paid for my efforts. That was the best time of my life. The Second World War came, and my wife and I had to flee Austria to save our lives. And when we were together and safe on a ship bound for North America, that was the best time of my life. When we came to Canada and started a family, that was the best time of my life. When I was a young father, watching my children grow up, that was the best time of my life. And now, Joe, I'm 79 years old. I have my health, feel good. I'm in love with my wife as I was when we first met. This is the best time of my life. Let's pray. Uh, Lord God, we want that. <laughs> we want this time, no matter what time age, stage we find ourselves in to be the best time of our life. 
So help us this day and every day to learn from you, uh, to walk with you, so that we may have life and have it to the full. And help us to follow Jesus and help us to lead our children to follow Jesus. In his name we ask it, amen. All right, hey, transition is our mission, and today's topic is very near and dear to my heart because this is the one that I find myself in, uh, moving from all in the family to that of the empty nest. And Okay, all in the family. Anybody here remember that TV show? Yeah, I kind of remember it, you know, I was around, but it ran from 1971 to 79. And although it was, you know, a situation comedy, they really took on some dramatic and controversial topics of the day. The Bunkers were an interesting family for sure. You got Archie, he's kind of the the patriarch of the bunch, and he's an outspoken, narrow-minded man, seemingly prejudiced against uh, everyone not like him or his idea of how people should be. And then there's Edith, uh, his sweet and understanding wife, although she's kind of ditzy. Uh, their only child, Gloria, she possesses the good-natured qualities of her mother, but she's also inherited her father's temper. And then there's Michael. Ah, Michael. Michael is the son-in-law who is Archie's polar opposite. And so naturally, they clash, conflicting values. It's the greatest generation versus the counterculture uh, baby boomers of the day. And so Archie often refers to his son-in-law as meathead. You know, that's all in the family. But each episode began with Archie and Edith sitting at the piano, and they were singing a song, which is called Those Were the days, and although they, they sang it somewhat upbeat and way off key, but, but really the song is a lament. It's, it's basically a song that says things used to be good and now they're not because times have changed and the last line of the song actually goes like this. Hair was short and skirts were long. I don't know just what went wrong. Those were the days. And a lot of people are still singing that song, uh, wishing for the good old days. Yesterday, all my troubles seem so We know the song. <laughs> we sing it too. And uh, we sing it to ourselves in times of transition. But I'll tell you, nobody sings it like those in the empty nest. I'm learning the song of letting go. Now, some of you here know that song by heart. This is my family. Uh, we look normal enough, but don't be fooled. Looks can be deceiving. My wife is married. We have five children. My oldest uh, has a great job, and she is married to a great guy. The second daughter has a great job, and she is engaged to a great guy. The third just graduated and has a great job and apartments with her older sister in University City. Our fourth daughter is a junior at Missouri S&T, and we have one left in the nest. Our son recently began his senior year of high school, and the clock is ticking. And the kitchen table, which was always so loud and lively and full, will return to a table set for two. I'm 56 years old, and for exactly half of my life, I've been a dad. Uh, 28 of the 33 years of our marriage has been spent raising our kids. 
What will we do when the kids are gone? Let me tell you, we're going to Hawaii. (laughs) (laughs) Not really, not really, not really, no. I, I, I agree with John Ortberg. He said one of the hardest things in life is learning to let go. Uh, When you're a parent, you think that the hardest part is taking care of your kids. He said, that's not the hard part. The hard part is letting go of them. So I'd like to talk about letting go, but before we get there, let's just touch on raising them while you still got them. I recently uh, came across something that uh, author Andy Andrews wrote about parenting, and it stuck with me because it really lined up with how Mary and I uh, have raised and are raising our kids. He said this, I'm not interested in raising great kids. I'm more interested in raising pretty good kids who grow up to be great adults. I like that. I really do. Because if your focus is only on having great kids, then most likely your family life is going to be filled with a whole lot of stress and pressure and plenty of rule following. And it'll work for a time until you're perfectly polite, straight-A all-star heads off to college. And then these little robots that you control for 18 years are going to take a double major in video games and beer pong. And that will do more to shape who they are going to become as adults than anything you did. Now, I'm not against rules. I'm not against healthy discipline. I'm not against uh, getting good grades. I'm about it. I'm just not all about it. What I'm all about is honor. Let's take another look at that passage from Ephesians 6. Honor your father and your mother. That is the fourth commandment that Paul is pointing to. And honor is such a big word, such a great word, important word. Honor between children and parents and honor between parents and children. Absolutely critical, foundational, here's why. Because the first and most important relationship in this world is at home. We gotta get it straight at home first. That's why God designed it. And at the very heart of all human relationships is honor. Honoring means we cherish, we value, we respect, we love. And we we need to learn how to honor at home First, and if we can figure it out at home, really all will be well. If we learn to honor one another and respect one another and cherish and value one another in the family, then that will carry over out into the world, into every relationship. So homes filled with honor and respect produce confidence. It's true. The child that is loved with honor be- become secure and successful later in life because they are honored for who they are, okay? That's important, not on their accomplishments, but simply loved and honored for who they are. They can confidently go out into this world and not be shaken. Children, of course, should not grow up and become successful in order to win their parents' approval. No, the child is loved first. The child is honored first, before they make their mark on the world. The success comes because they are already loved. And by the way, 
This is how the gospel works. Same principles apply to our relationship with our Heavenly Father. He first loved us. See, this is how this works. We don't try to win his approval or his love, and his love is not based on our good works or our behavior. He simply loves us for who we are in Christ. So knowing that we're already loved, that we're already accepted, that's then what motivates us to do any good work or an attempt at trying to follow his will. To put it another way, we don't obey in order to get accepted. Rather, because we're already accepted, we try to obey. Get this. A lot of people have this reversed. We don't honor to get honor. We honor because we're already honored. That's the gospel. And in my not-so-humble opinion, the gospel is the very most important thing that we can give to our children. Take them by the hand and lead them in the way of the master Jesus. You lead them to Jesus, most important thing. Lead them to the cross, repaid for their sins. Lead them to the empty tomb where he rose in triumph for them and in so doing made a way, the way for their future home in heaven. You lead them to the waters of baptism where he, gave, he gives them his spirit. You lead them into his word where he tells them they're valuable not because of their accomplishments or their rule following, but just because who they are to him. I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. I am loved. I am cherished. I am valued. I am honored because I'm a child of God. Now, perhaps you've seen this before. Um, second principle applies. It's God who makes them and us valuable. Give them the gospel. It is the most important thing you could do. It is more important than math. If you had to drop one, the gospel or math, drop math. It's more important than soccer. Ooh, not that. It's more important than making the honor roll. It's more important than making a traveling team. It's more important than making the big bucks someday. Because all of that is temporary. And what good is it for a child to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their soul? The world is temporary, including your nest and my nest and all that is in it. But faith in Christ and life in him is eternal. Therefore, take your child by the hand. Maybe kicking and screaming some days. It's all right. Amen. <laughs> Best sound in the church, by the way. Always want to tell you that. If you don't hear kids in church, look out. We're in trouble. Take them by the hand. Lead them. Lead them. Take them. It's Jesus who is very big on this, very big on reminding us, don't get too attached to this world. 
your real home, your forever home, that's heaven. Heaven is our home, and I believe that, and I teach it to my kids, and I'm not just blowing smoke. I'm going to show you something that uh, is actually about six years old. My wife and I and our kids, we were in Colorado for a little summer vacation doing that kind of thing. And we're in some restaurant, and I don't know how the subject came up. I really don't know the backstory. I don't remember it. But our kids were, you know, because there's five of them, moving in at different ages and stages. You know, one's getting out of college, one's in the middle of college, one's moving into college, one's getting out of high school, one's coming into high school, all that kind of stuff. And so the topic was brought up, hey, Mom and Dad, and each of us were going to do this, right then and there, in the restaurant, give us like your top 10 rules for life, like lessons for life. And so we got the napkin and a card out, and okay, so we did. And I'm not going to show you Mary's, but I'm going to show you mine. My daughter Kate, actually, smart kid, snapped a picture of this. And here is what I gave them that day. Now, you can see that I could not limit it to just 10. I had to do 11. Now, I do not have time to explain them all. Maybe we'll do that another day. Um, but I do want to direct your attention to my number one. Poor grammar, yeah. But there it is. This ain't home. Faith matters. Heaven, kids, is our home. Everything else is temporary. Heaven is our home. But let's face it, eventually your kids have to leave your home. They got to get a move on. That being said, um, it is a fact that it is financially tougher for today's generation to make that move than it was for my generation or the generation before me. Check this out. Three generations all making the minimum wage for that particular year. This chart shows how many hours one would need to work at that job each month in order to afford housing and how many hours per year to cover education at a state college. All right, let's just take housing as an example. To pay for an average one-bedroom apartment, a boomer making minimum wage had to put away or pay one-third of their monthly income. Well. A Gen Xer had to pay almost twice that, and a Gen Z would need to put in their entire paycheck, and they'd still come up short. Right? Remember, these are the numbers for three generations, all working the same job, same uh, minimum wage, 40 hours a week. And don't get me started on how crazy expensive college is. Those were the days. My point is this. That old joke about the adult kid living in the parents' basement, it is terribly outdated. It just doesn't apply anymore because it's not fair. So all I'm just saying, church, go easy on that one. All right? Cut them some slack and help them save so they can move out, which brings us back to the topic of letting go. Tough stuff for sure, but it's something that you definitely want to come to grips with if you haven't done so already. Here's the way God designed it. Leave. Leave. Father and mother, be united with your spouse. And when I address couples in premarital counseling, I talk about a shift that must take place. As children, of course, we are dependent upon our parents and uh, for the material and all the non-material things in life. 
Uh, our parents then have the responsibilities of providing food and shelter and clothing as well as emotional support and godly values and uh, spiritual growth. But just as the doctor cuts the umbilical cord from the baby to the mother, so you must cut the umbilical cord of dependency and primary allegiance to your parents. Because if you don't, you will undermine the independence that you are to have as husband and wife. So before the wedding day, before the wedding day, your most significant relationships are with your parents. But during the ceremony, your priorities change. Now, you should always continue to honor your father and your mother, but your priority must now become your spouse. In terms of human relationship, you have a new number one, your spouse. And both you and your parents must recognize this shift in loyalty. The act of breaking away from one's parents is absolutely foundational to establishing oneness in marriage. And let me tell you, I will tell you, the couple sitting across the table from me, they get it. It's the parents who have the tougher time with this. Some, many parents continue to meddle. They can't help it. They're well-meaning, not helpful. Parents, help your children transition into marriage well by cutting the proverbial apron strings. Let them be a new thing, not just an extension of your old thing. Let them work out their own marital issues without your interference. Allow them to go on vacations without you. Don't guilt them into coming over to your Thanksgiving and your Christmases because Christmas will be ruined somehow. Jesus won't be born. If it, no, no, no. Don't be so needy. Don't be demanding. Don't manipulate. Don't pressure. I like the advice from Dave Harvey. You want a good book? Here it is. It's called I Still Do. It's really good. He writes to parents, be a mirror for your kids. Here are some really important things that kids who are on their own need to hear from their parents. He says, son, daughter, it's not your job to fulfill our dreams. We love to be with you, but we don't need you. We don't need you to be here. We love that you're here, when you, but we don't need you to be here. We want to empower you to cast your own vision for family visits and the holidays. And here's the most important line, you have our full permission to let us down. Be a mirror for your children. 
Don't be a loudspeaker. Be a mirror. Don't tell them. Show them. Show them what a great marriage looks like. Instead of messing with their marriage, mess with your marriage. You got enough, all right? If you're in the empty nest, or better still, if you are heading into the empty nest syndrome, I know they call it a syndrome. It doesn't have to be a syndrome. You don't have to have a midlife crisis. Not at all. You can choose to make this the best time of your life. But now's the time to act. Renew your commitments to one another. Get to be the best of friends again. Date your spouse now that you got the time. Have fun. Worship together. Hold hands. Join a community group. Fourth principle applies. God sends people to walk with you. Take advantage of this. It is good for you. It is good for your kids to see you in community with other Christians' friends because it shows them what you value. You show them what it looks like to have a faith life that you take it seriously. Show them what it looks like to have a life. Get out of the house, go to Hawaii. Get intentional, make it the best time of your life. Honor their marriage by letting go. But continue parenting by being a mirror of what awesome looks like, right? Okay, let's bring it on home. The words Jesus gave his disciples, he was letting go. He was heading to the cross, and then he's going to go to heaven's home, and so they wouldn't be with one another physically for a time. So this is, this is Jesus' goodbye. He says, peace I leave with you, and my peace I give you. I don't give you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. And one of the, hard, one of the reasons that we have such a hard time in letting go is that um, I think in so doing, we confront our limitations. Right? Martin Coppenhaver rightly put it, he said, we cannot both be here and there. We cannot be with all the people that we care about. We cannot transition into what is ahead without some way of letting go of what is the past. And so over and over and over again in Scripture, uh, we read of people who, in parting, remind one another of the promises of God. And what other way is there to let go? In what other way can we let go? How else can we transition into what is ahead and let go of the past if we don't entrust it all into the care of God. Hmm? That's what goodbye means, after all. Goodbye means God be with you. And eventually we'll all say it. This world is temporary. And so in one way, shape, or form, every single one of us is going to say goodbye. God be with you. Because I can no longer be with you. God be with you. Because if he's with you, 
and he's with me. And somehow we'll still be together. God be with you until we meet in the Father's house to live forever. God be with you all. Amen. Let's pray.